Okay, well, get comfy wherever you are. Have a seat if you've been standing. Grab that cup of tea if you've sort of been making one, getting ready for this point in the service. Whatever you're doing, just get settled and take a little bit of a second. We're enjoying right now that it's officially Christmas here at Rehope because Christmas Kelly has been here throughout the week busily making things Christmassy. Yes, we love Christmas Kelly. I can see on the screen we've got the lovely trees. We've got kind of twinkly lights going on. It's officially Christmas. And as we get going today, I want to do a quick opinion poll with you. And I'm going to ask you a question. And our disclaimer is going to be that we all equally want to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, okay? So we're just going to take that as a given. But then I'm going to ask you, would you rather, and think kind of more regular year, would you rather have the build up to Christmas, so Advent, Advent calendars, Christmas parties, Christmas dinners, Christmas shopping, all the decorations, carol services, everything that comes with the build up to Christmas, but no Christmas day, or have Christmas day itself with all the fun and festivities that that brings, but no build up to it whatsoever? What would you rather have, the build up to Christmas or Christmas itself? Pop your answer in the online chat feature. Full permission to disagree with what I am just about to say, which is that any day of the week, I would take the build up to Christmas over the day itself. Because my argument being that with the build up to Christmas and all the anticipation of Advent and what that brings, I feel like you get all of the good bits of Christmas a little bit every single day for like a month more than a month. It's not even December yet. And here we are with Christmas trees and with lights and with Christmassy things. I love the build up to Christmas. And, and don't we know that so often even with, with earthly things that the anticipation sometimes proves to be better than the thing itself? I love that we don't just do the Christmassy thing at Christmas here, but that we, um, we really gear up to it because I love the anticipation of all the good that still has to come. We know that it's good. It's powerful to have things to look forward to. I love the build-up to Christmas. I love this time of year. I love being at Rehope for this time of year. This is my fifth kind of fully immersed in the life of Rehope Christmas, and there's just something special about being here over Christmas. I, I love that there's so much going on, and there's so much to kind of get plugged into because we really do go all out on the celebration of Christmas, and this year is like no other for that reason. And as much as I love the build-up to Christmas now, Nothing compares, nothing comes close to the anticipation of Christmas as a child. If you just scan your minds back with me to maybe when you were about seven or eight years old and just place yourself on Christmas Eve, can you remember how it felt? I will never forget Christmas Eve as a child because my older brother Jonathan and I were completely ramped up out of control, besides ourselves with excitement. I marvel as an adult now when I hear people talk about their Christmases, and you know, you, you'll, you'll hear someone say something like, you know, oh, our, our youngest child will wake us up as early as eight o'clock on Christmas morning. And then we all gather on the staircase and we sing a festive song together. And then we go down the stairs, you know, youngest child to oldest child. And then we'll eat our breakfast and then they open one gift and then they phone their grandmother and then we go to church together and then they come home and they can all pick one more gift. And I'm like, what? What was your Christmas? What is your Christmas? My brother and I didn't get up on Christmas morning because we didn't go down. Every 20 minutes we would wake my parents until they waved the white flag of surrender, usually at about 3 a.m., probably, if they were lucky. I'll never forget the feeling, though, because it was impossible to sleep. We had excitement coursing through our veins. We're going to think about 
hope today. And as I started to think about it earlier this week, my mind was brought back to Christmas Eve as a child because it's the best example I can think of of a time in my life when I have felt consumed by hope, absolutely caught up and consumed by it. And as I remember how I was physically, emotionally taken over by hope as a child for what, hope for presents the next day, then as I think now, okay, this, this real hope, real hope, if it's actual, real, livable expectation of good, then it has the power to have an incredible impact on me right now. What would it look like for me to be caught up and consumed by hope as an adult, as I look ahead into my future? Before we go further, I want to stress that this sermon today, as we think about hope, it's not a put all of your suffering on a shelf and get over it message. It's not that. But I do feel burdened to give an unapologetic call to hope for us today because as we look into Christmas and as as we go into the time of year where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, who we've come to know as our living hope, I wonder if we can't have hope, then where is the hope? If we can't have hope, is there any hope to be found? And not hope that's a vague idea or a virtue printed on a cushion, but hope that is so real that as we live life and as we suffer, which we're told that we will, then our very much unshelved suffering will magnify the hope we have because it does not overpower it. Hope changes us when it's real. It has the power to make a real impact And because of hope, the difficult things of this year don't get to claim this year for us, but it can be a year that is marked by the hope that we have. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I love this verse because I love how honestly it describes what it feels like to have your hope deferred. It acknowledges the very real pain of having things put off or delayed or being long awaited. And maybe this year for you has felt like a year of hopes being deferred. Maybe even words that you think God has spoken over your life that are yet unfulfilled, prayers that are still unanswered. And and maybe in all of that and with all of that, you feel sick in your heart. I get it. And we could live out of that sickness of our hearts, but what would that look like? There's another proverb that says, above all, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. If we stop in our heart sickness, if we finish there, everything of us comes out of that sickness of our heart. And the good news is the the first proverb doesn't stop with heart sickness, but it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope fulfilled is a tree of life. And I believe at Christmas we celebrate the birth of hope and hope fulfilled because we stand on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that means that if we have given our lives to him, when we give our lives to him, we are born into a living hope that we can live out of hope that then many people might discover hope. Because I don't know much about trees except that I know that their fruit is not for them, but it's for the many. So I want the ultimate hope fulfilled that I have the story of Jesus dying for me on a cross, that I might be saved, that I might be reconciled to God, born again into his family. I want that ultimate hope in my life to be the tree of life for many, to impact my life so much more than any earthly hopes that might be deferred. 
I've got a story from the Bible I want to plug us into today, and it's just at the start of the book of Luke, and starting at chapter 1, verse 5, that's where I'm going to read from if you want to follow along at home. So it says this, in the time of King Herod, uh, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord's done this for me, she said. In these days, he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I'm going to flip ahead. Verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. In this story, deferred hope is our starting point. Maybe you can see your own starting point in their story today. But we hear that Zechariah and Elizabeth are are living righteously in the sight of God, and yet their earthly hope has been long unfulfilled. We're told quick off the bat that they know God, they're living within his will, but they are both very old, they're childless because they can't conceive. And although this part of their story would have been so much of their story. The story that Luke goes on to tell us about is not a story recounting the years of praying and waiting and crying out to God for a child, but it's a story of the once, the one day, the one moment when in what looks like by chance, Zechariah ends up at that altar of incense when everyone else is praying outside and suddenly hope breaks through just in an instant in the angel appearing to him. That's what the story centers on. And Gabriel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will have a son. 
Zechariah and Elizabeth did not know as they prayed and waited and waited and prayed and grew old together that their son, their answer, had to come at an appointed time so that he would make the way clear for Jesus to come after him. And maybe this year has felt like another year of waiting for you, and maybe you cannot see any rhyme or reason why God would delay, why he's not acted, why he can't do the thing that you're asking him to do because he loves you. But hope today says, God is hearing me. God is hearing me. And even though this year might not have been my year, maybe that means I am one year closer. And actually, just as Zechariah and Elizabeth were living righteously in the sight of God, in my waiting, in my anticipation, I am going to cling to him because I do not know when that once, one day, one moment, when in what looks like by chance, in an instant, God might break through and hope might be fulfilled in my life. I also see in their story that when it comes to any of my earthly hopes, if God wants to fulfill any of them, I want him to fulfill them in his time, in his way, because we, we see in this story that if God does it, it's going to be bigger than me. It's going to be bigger than the impact it has on my life. Because yes, Zechariah is told, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. He will be a joy and delight to you. Happy days. God's heard your prayer. He's going to do that thing that you've asked him to do, and it's going to be a joy to you. But there's more, because it's bigger than them. The angel says, he'll be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. You're going to have to steward this fulfilled hope correctly. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord your God. Your hope fulfilled is going to have a purpose beyond you. Your hope had to be fulfilled at this time. God hears our prayers and he answers and he gives out of his goodness. But as we look back over the story of the Bible, we see so clearly that in every moment when he intervenes, whenever he does a good thing, whenever he acts and reveals his goodness and his kindness to his people and, and everything that we could hope of him doing in the future as well that he said he's going to do, it's all about, it's all wrapped up in revealing who he is so that everyone might know who he is and be saved. Zechariah and Elizabeth's hope for a child is so deeply personal to them, but their story so far transcends their own circumstances as God acts. And because God is in it and because it's not all about them, they live much more of their lives in the anticipation than in that moment of hope fulfilled. But when they do, when it does come, it's a joy to them and it is a tree of life to many. Hope says, God is hearing me even now. And hope says, this is bigger than my life and my circumstances because my life is not ultimately about my earthly hopes being fulfilled, although they might be, but it's about God being revealed through what he wants to do in my life in the time that I have. Okay, quick picture break. I saw this meme recently and I appreciated it. Um, it made me wonder as I read through this story again, okay, what did Gabriel look like? I don't know, we all kind of think, well, I don't know, I typically would think like handsome man angel with wings on and kind of majestic looking, but I looked at this and I was like, oh, fair play, like what did he look like? If you would read through general accounts of angels, then you wouldn't be so sure perhaps, but imagine one of these on the top of your tree. I bet there's one Christian somewhere, there's someone who's like devout enough and they have a biblical angel on the top of their tree. If that's you, full respect, by the way, full respect. Um, so much of the Christmas story 
We let wash all over us because we're so used to it. Oh, another angelic visitation. Very nice. Okay, another weird dream in the night that tells you where to go, right? Whatever. Okay, another do not be afraid command. Classic. But if you pause for a second and just consider, okay, how horrifying is it in life when someone you know and like suddenly appears in front of you? And then imagine someone you know and like even suddenly appearing in front of you when you're on your own in a church building, perhaps, while everyone else is outside. And then imagine that they look like a biblical angel. We're told that Zechariah, when this happens, when Gabriel appears, he's um, startled, which I like to think of like kind of like a jump scare moment. And then he is gripped with fear. His God experience here, his God moment is so real and so obvious. And yet, when Gabriel tells Zechariah about the good that is to come, he asks him, how can I be sure of this? I am very old and my wife is well on in years. I love the like gentlemanly politeness of that. I am very old and my wife is well on in years. Yes, you're both very old, Zechariah. But can we relate to that? I think of Zechariah and I think of, I'm even remembering Moses at the burning bush, other moments throughout the Bible story where God reveals something in a really obvious way in those moments, those incredible moments when that happens, and yet it seems like the human heart, no matter how thunderous the voice of God is, the human heart is just bent towards the, are you sure? Or how can you be sure? Or actually, here are my reasons why this would be impossible for you. It'd be easy to read this and be like, oh, Zechariah is so obtuse. How could he not believe an angel? But honestly, I sympathize with him for not wanting to get his hopes up at this point in his life. What Gabriel is telling him This is one moment in a long story of waiting and wanting and praying and actually probably getting to a point years ago where they will have maybe come to terms with the fact that it's too late for them. And what Gabriel is saying to them directly opposes everything he knows to be true. He is old. His wife is well on in years. That is the reality for them. And in this funny little interaction before the Christmas story that we're all so much more familiar with kind of starts to play out. We see that Zechariah is silenced until his hope is going to be fulfilled. And it makes me wonder, I paused on that quite a while this week because I don't fully understand why that happens, but it makes me wonder, okay, I can sympathize, I can empathize, I know that I all too often hear that voice inside my own mind, that are you sure, or God, how can you be sure, or like, just here's all my, here's the reasons why I just, I'm like losing hope on this thing, or losing hope that you're going to act, I empathize with that voice, and yet when I watch this interaction, it makes me not want to give that voice any authority anymore, not right now resisting the gravitational pull of hopelessness in this season might feel like we are running through water. And yet, I wonder if, like, what if our fulfilled hope that we have in Jesus because of what he did on the cross, what if because of that fulfilled hope, we dared to boldly live as if we could expect good before we even see the good play about? Because I think the church would shine if in an opposite spirit to all of the hopeless mantras of 2020, we, we actually got to a point where we thought, okay, little, little or loud voice within me that's saying, God, are you sure, God, are you sure? How can, you, how can I be sure you're good? How can I be sure you're going to come through? How can I be sure that you're hearing my prayers? That voice, maybe if we get to a point where we actually tell that voice to be quiet, that we're not going to answer to it anymore. In my Bible read through this last week, I was struck by a really simple bit at the end of Philemon. 
feel free to correct my pronunciation in ways that I can't hear you or see you, where Paul writes, one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. One thing more, get ready. Physically, get ready. Prepare a room because I hope, which means I actually expect that God is going to answer your prayers and restore me to you, even though I'm not on my way and I'm not close to you. That was the level of the hope that he had. And what if we lived like this, lived as if God is going to answer prayers, God is moving on our behalf. Get ready. Make the room ready. Physically prepare. Perhaps that is the thing that helps if we're salt of the earth, if we are to be light in the darkness. There are so many reasons why the rest of the world might be thinking and feeling in a particular way, and yet, what if we were different? What if we were radically hopeful because we look back at what God has done in the past and we trust that he will do it again, that he can prove himself to be faithful like the ways he has many, many times before? I think of David when I think of this, and I think of David before he kills Goliath. You've got the Philistine army on one side of the valley and the Israelites on the other, and there's total stalemate because the Israelites are looking at their enemy and they have every reason to believe that they cannot overcome him. He's called a champion. He has a track record. He has his stature, his height, his size, his equipment, his shout. And the enemy stands and shouts, and they are stuck. But then David steps in with daring but reasonable hope, because where their hopelessness is paralyzing them, his hope propels him into that. And he says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul says, you're not able to. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior since his youth. Are you sure, Gabriel? We are very old. But David said to Saul, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul says, go, and the Lord be with you. David has real hope because he really expects that the God who's acted before to help him before will help him again. The rescuer will rescue. The Lord who rescued me from X will rescue me from Y. We're told that the Philistine moved closer to attack him. As that happened, David ran to the battle line to meet him. Hope should propel us Maybe your year has been so difficult that actually for you, hopelessness itself feels like the giant to be overcome. But in this, I would encourage you, for all of us, this is a moment to look back and to list and to count and to stand on everything God has done before. If, if you can't uh, name the things in your own life, then in the lives of the people around you, in the, in the story of the Bible throughout history, stand on those things that mean that now as we look into the uncertain future, we can expect good to come because God has done it before. In Luke chapter 1, verse 45, Elizabeth says of Mary, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Put simply, there's happiness to be found in living in hope. I think so often it's easy that if circumstances of life aren't our ideal or something awful happens and we feel miserable, 
We can sit in that misery. I know I can sit in that misery and I, I believe maybe the lie that it's just the inevitable result of what's going on in my life and that actually it's so uncomfortable that in that moment I think, you know what, it's actually safer just not to hope again for that thing. So I'll just bar out the hope and then I won't need to feel this way again because I won't need to feel disappointed again when in reality that just leads me into like lasting misery as I try to live without hope because my, my misery isn't, yeah, it might be ignited by circumstances, but then it stays with me because I'm trying to live life without any expectation of goods to come. Living without expectation of good makes us miserable. It's making our world miserable. I want to let hope have its impact. I'm going to be careful about how I tell this story. My family at home are a big Santa family, and my mom has fought for years to keep the hope alive, to the point that my older brother, who is very articulate, and he's a preacher, teacher, communicator, he, uh, in P6, in primary school, he won a debate regarding Santa Claus, and after he won this debate, his teacher got in touch with my mom to just highlight some of his reasoning um, and some of his very well-formed arguments, which centered around how, as a single-income family, my parents couldn't possibly have afforded the gifts that we received on Christmas Day. And then number two, how my parents, as Christian parents, could never have sustained such an abominable lie. At one point in my young life, I expressed some questions about Christmas magic, and uh, it was arranged that I would receive a mysterious letter, which was a multi-sided apologetic defense of certain aspects of the Christmas story, which was word processed to avoid any confusion regarding handwriting. My mom has really fought to keep the hope alive in, in not just Christmas magic, but in, in lots of areas of life. And I wonder if maybe we need to fight to keep hope alive, if we need to actually put a bit of effort into this for ourselves and for each other right now not to keep hope alive for hope's sake or for, uh, to place our lives or to build our lives on any sort of misplaced hope, but because we believe that we have found real hope in Jesus and it is worth it. It is worth fighting for that hope for ourselves, for each other, for anyone we come into contact with so that it has the impact, especially in the hardest seasons of our lives, because hope will lift our eyes from our current circumstances. Hope will give us peace as we live right now, as we look towards good in the future and we expect good in the future. And it was purchased for us. It was given to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can take it. We can live with it. It's what we're called to. I want to pray for us in a little second, but first I have a, a wordy challenge for us today because I wanted to make it one challenge, but really it's probably quite a lot. Oh, it looks like a lot on your screen. I apologize. Take hold of it. Okay, the challenge is boldly celebrate the hope we have this Christmas by dealing with any ways you have blocked hope or are speaking hopelessness over yourself or other people. So things like God is not going to do this. This will not happen for me. This, oh, that's probably impossible for them. Oh, it's nice that they have hope in that way, but like it's really unlikely. All of that kind of chat. And resolving instead to fight for hope for yourself and others, hoping for good before you see it fulfilled. Things like preparing that room, getting ready for the answer, and testifying to hope in hopeless spaces. That's the challenge. Okay, I'm gonna pray in a little second. But as we just go into a time of worship and response in a moment, I know I can't see you right now. 
Um, so I can't ask you to raise a hand. I can't ask everyone to close their eyes and then ask some people to raise a hand. I don't know who's out there. But I just, in the, in the quietness of your own heart right now, I just want to ask, if, you're, if your hope levels are low, are your hope levels low? Do you feel sick in your heart from the disappointments of this year, from disappointments of um, your life, whatever might be happening for you? Do you feel sick at heart? Do you feel low on hope? And if the answer is yes, just do you a little quiet soul yes. Give me a, a quiet soul yes, just in the quietness of your own home this morning. And I want to pray for you right now. God, we, we need your hope. Jesus, thank you that you died for us on a cross, that when you came as a baby, there was a plan for your life. You were going in a direction towards the cross to die, that we might be reconciled to God, that we might have hope for our forever, that we might have hope that we can live with right now, that we can take hold of right now, God. We ask you for more hope. Would you remind us today of your goodness, of your kindness, even in a world that can feel so unkind and so dark? Jesus, you are the light. Give us more hope today. God, for every heart saying yes today who says they're, they're low on hope, would you just fill them with more of your hope, Jesus? Come close wherever they are, if they're on their own, Lord, draw close to them. Fill them with your hope. Fill them with your life. And the hope of life we have in you. And maybe, maybe you're listening today and you're like, I don't, I don't have any hope. I don't know Jesus for myself. I don't have hope for my own future. I don't know. But if you're at a point where you'd like to give your life to him, I just want to pray a really simple prayer right now that you can pray along with me. Or maybe you need to give, rededicate your life to him and turn back to him and take hold of that hope again. You can just pray along with me right now. Jesus, I need you. Thank you that you love me. Would you forgive me for the ways in which I've turned away from you? Would you forgive me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Fill me with your hope today as I give my life to you or as I surrender my life before you again. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Give me the joy of my salvation right now. In your name we pray, Jesus.